Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're For Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the sassy little lion to my right is Ellen. That's me. And with that, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 1, The Other Minister, and the lack of corresponding film scenes. Corny Fudge is intrusive as always with the Muggle Prime Minister, and of course shows up at the worst time. The Muggle Prime Minister struggles to understand the actual concept of magic, though, to be fair, who has really explained it to him? We find out that people are just walking around in Dementor aphrodisiac mist. And there's a new magical minister who hopefully will give the Muggle Prime Minister more information than Fudge. But it's doubtful. During episode 195, Obliviating and gaslighting, our Potter pondering was, do you feel like any major plot points are missing since the movie Half-Blood Prince left out the past and current conversations between Fudge and the Muggle Prime Minister? Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week. In my opinion, Fudge admitting that Sirius is innocent is the most important part tragically left out because of them skipping like this entire book chapter it's important to me because of all the times that fudge used him as a scapegoat and constantly dragged his name through the mud for being a horrible evil wizard then finally we hear him admit that he was wrong that not only did he not join voldemort to reunite with the murder munchie buddies when he escaped prison but that he was wrongfully imprisoned to begin with. I don't think that's ever mentioned in the movies as far as I remember. And that's extremely unfortunate because Sirius and Harry deserve to have the Daily Prophet write a retraction to eat their words. Now, as for everything else, it would have been really cool to see the interactions between the three ministers even if they left out like the recappy portion, they could have started off with them conversing in the Prime Minister's office. This was a great opportunity for a montage, showing the events on, like, on the screen as Fudge explains them to the minister. But no, of course not. Just show the smoke ponies terrorizing people. That's fine. That's all we need. Also, my headcanon is that it was Stan Shunpike who Imperius the junior minister but I won't go into that now. They could have found a much better way to do the opening scene and still make it quick without completely leaving everything out. Because as far as the movies go, the muggles have absolutely no idea that there's a wizarding war going on. Ugh, Yates. Why? Hey guys, it's Jackson with my pot of pondering. Do I feel like any major plot points were missing since they left out the convo between um, the PM and Fudge? Uh, nah, honestly, not really. I mean, we did get some gist of what the Death Eaters were doing. 
But I mean, I still would have liked to have seen the conversation, of course. But, I don't know. I don't know if any major plot points were missed out on. I do think that it still jumped a lot. We could have spent a few seconds or even a couple of minutes with other things happening. But, yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it goes with these movies. Hello, everyone. This is Marissa back to answer this week's Potter Pondering from a very long break. Personally, I would have loved to see it when Fudge tells the Muggle Prime Minister that Black was innocent the entire time. The whole that idea that this conversation between them is left out is seriously effed up. Why did Yates have to leave this one out? I know that a lot of this information we learned is already, like, you know, you see it in the book and you hear about it in the book, but it would really be cool to see the reaction of the Muggle Prime Minister or a muggle in general, hearing all of this, and it'd be priceless to see. Like, imagine the reactions that, oh my gosh, magic. So cool, I know. Anyway, I'm back from a long break, so you'll probably be hearing me a couple more times. Yeah. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... Snape tells Bellatrix he returned to the Dark Lord the night he came back, but not immediately. How long does he say it took him? The answer is it took him two hours. Congratulations goes to Kalista Whitewolf. Yay! She definitely gets the win for this one because she answered on Podbean before I even had the chance to post it to Facebook. Is she going to be starting a new streak? You never know. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 2, Spinner's End, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 2, Spinner's End, Part 1. Many miles away from the Prime Minister's office, the same chilly mist is drifting over a dirty river. The only sound is from the water, and the only sign of life is a scrawny fox that is nosing hopefully at some old fish and chip wrappers on the rubbish-strewn riverbanks. Then... A faint pop is followed by the appearance of a hooded figure that pauses for a moment to take in the surroundings before setting off with quick light strides. A second pop brings another hooded figure who calls after the first to wait. This startles the fox who begins to leap up the bank when a flash of green light causes it to yelp and fall dead to the ground. The second figure nudges it with her toe and dismissively says it was just a fox. She begins to comment on thinking it was an Auror, but interrupts herself again to call for the first figure to wait, this time calling her Sissy. She had hesitated at the flash of green light, but now is making her way back up the bank. The second woman hurries after her, again calling for her to wait, this time using her full name, Narcissa. She grabs her arm and Narcissa wrenches it away, telling Bella to get back. Bella insists that she must listen to her, but Narcissa responds that she already has, that she has made her decision and wants to be left alone. She makes it to the top of the bank where old rails separate the river from a narrow cobbled street. Bella follows her up and the two women stand side by side, looking at the rows and rows of dilapidated brick houses. In a voice full of contempt, Bella expresses her distaste that he lives in a muggle dunghill where they must be the first of their kind to set foot there. Narcissa isn't paying any attention as she has already slipped through a gap in the rails 
and is hurrying across the street. Bella follows after her as she darts through an alley between houses and onto a second nearly identical street. She catches up to her, grabs her arms, and pleads with her not to trust him. Narcissa points out that the Dark Lord trusts him, and Bella responds that she believes the Dark Lord is mistaken, and also reminds her that they were told not to speak of the plan to anyone. Narcissa snarls at Bella to let go and pulls out her wand. Bella laughs, telling her that she wouldn't use it against her own sister. Narcissa brings her wand down like a knife as she breathes that there's nothing she wouldn't do anymore. With another flash of light, Bella drops her sister's arm as though burned. She calls after her as Narcissa rushes ahead, then follows, keeping her distance this time. Narcissa turns up a street named Spinner's End and passes homes with boarded and broken windows until she reaches the last one in the row, lit with a dim light showing through the curtains. She knocks on the door and Bella catches up to her. The two sisters stand waiting for a few seconds before the door opens a crack and a man with long black hair peers out at them. Narcissa throws back her hood, revealing her long blonde hair, and the man recognizes her, greeting her by name and opening the door wider. She calls him Severus and asks if she may speak to him urgently. He agrees and steps aside to let her in, followed by her still hooded sister, who curtly calls him Snape as she passes. He calls her Bellatrix in return and closes the door behind the two women. They're in a small sitting room which has an air of neglect, and Snape directs Narcissa to the sofa. She removes her cloak and takes a seat. Bellatrix slowly lowers her hood and moves to stand behind her sister. Snape asks what he can do for her as he settles in an armchair across from them, and Narcissa asks if they are alone. Snape assures her that they are, admitting that Wormtail is there, but also saying that they aren't counting vermin. He uses his wand to reveal a hidden door where a small man stands frozen, attempting to listen in. Snape offers Wormtail to get them drinks before he retires to his room, and Wormtail protests that he isn't his servant. Snape reminds him that the Dark Lord placed him there to assist him, and Wormtail agrees to assist, but not to make him drinks and clean his house. Snape offers to talk to the Dark Lord on his behalf, and Wormtail insists that he can himself if he wants. Snape sneers back that he can, but in the meantime, to bring them some of the elf-made wine. Wormtail hesitates, then turns away and comes back with a dusty bottle and three glasses on a tray. He drops them on the table and scurries away, slamming the book-covered door behind him. Snape pours wine in the three glasses, and hands one to each sister before holding up his own and saying, The Dark Lord, before draining it. The sisters copy him, and he refills their glasses. As Narcissa takes her second drink, she blurts out that she's sorry to come there like this, but she thinks he is the only one who can help her. Snape holds up a hand to stop her, and again points his wand at the hidden door. A loud bang is followed by a squeal, and then the sound of Wormtail scurrying up the stairs. Snape apologizes, explaining that he has taken to listening at doors, then asks Narcissa to continue. Narcissa takes a deep breath and again begins to speak, explaining that she knows she shouldn't be there since she has been told not to say anything. Bellatrix interrupts her to say that she should hold her tongue, particularly in present company, and Snape asks her what she means by that. 
Bellatrix responds that she does not trust him, as he well knows. And Snape tells Narcissa that he thinks they ought to hear what Bellatrix has to say to save on tedious interruptions. He then asks Bellatrix to continue and explain why she doesn't trust him. Bellatrix loudly insists that she has a hundred reasons, starting with where he was when the Dark Lord fell. Why did he never attempt to find him after he vanished? What has he been doing all these years that he's lived in Dumbledore's pocket? Why did he stop the Dark Lord from getting the Sorcerer's Stone? Why did he not return at once when the Dark Lord was reborn? Where was he a few weeks ago when they battled to retrieve the prophecy for the Dark Lord? And why is Harry Potter still alive when he has had him at his mercy for five years? Snape smiles and tells Bellatrix that he's going to answer her, but first he wants to know if she really thinks the Dark Lord hasn't asked him all these questions, and if she honestly thinks he'd be sitting there talking to her if he hadn't been able to give satisfactory answers. Bellatrix begins to comment on how she knows he believes him, but Snape cuts her off to ask if she thinks he is mistaken or that he was somehow able to fool the Dark Lord, the greatest wizard and most accomplished legilimens the world has ever seen. This silences Bellatrix, and Snape takes a sip of his wine before beginning his explanation, telling her that when the Dark Lord fell, he was where he was ordered to be, at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, so he could spy on Albus Dumbledore. In response to why he didn't go find him after he vanished, he says it's for the same reason Avery, Yaxley, the Caros, Greyback, Lucius, and many others did not attempt to. He believed he was finished. He says he's not proud of it and was wrong, but if the Dark Lord had not forgiven those who lost faith, he would have few followers left. Bellatrix passionately insists that he'd have her, who spent many years in Azkaban for him. Snape boredly calls this most admirable, saying that she wasn't a lot of use to him in prison, but the gesture was undoubtedly fine. This infuriates Bella, who accuses him of remaining at Hogwarts and comfortably playing Dumbledore's pet. Snape disagrees, pointing out that Dumbledore would not give him the defense against the dark arts job. Bellatrix doesn't think this is much of a sacrifice, and then asks why he stayed there all that time, still spying on Dumbledore for a master he believed to be dead? Snape tells her hardly, but also points out that the Dark Lord is pleased he had 16 years of information on Dumbledore to give him when he returned, something more useful than endless memories of how unpleasant Azkaban is. Bella cuts him off to again mention that he stayed, and Snape impatiently points out that, of course, he stayed. He had a comfortable job that he preferred to a stint in Azkaban, and Dumbledore's protection kept him out of jail. He also reiterates that the Dark Lord does not complain that he stayed, so he doesn't see why she does. He then brings up her next question, which is why he stood between the Dark Lord and the Sorcerer's Stone. Snape explains that the Dark Lord didn't know if he could trust him or not, and was in such a weakened state that he didn't dare reveal himself to a former ally that might turn him over to Dumbledore or the Ministry. He expresses his regret that the Dark Lord did not trust him, as he could have returned to power three years sooner. As it was, he only saw greedy and unworthy Quirrell attempting to steal the stone and did everything he could to stop him. 
Bellatrix's mouth twists and she brings up the fact that he didn't return when he came back and the dark mark first burned. Snape confirms this and explains that he returned two hours later on Dumbledore's orders. This enrages the witch, who begins to repeat it, but Snape impatiently talks over her, telling her to think. By waiting just two hours, he ensured he could remain at Hogwarts as a spy. By allowing Dumbledore to think he was only returning on his orders, he has been able to pass information on Dumbledore and the Order of the Phoenix ever since. He points out that the dark mark had been growing stronger for months, so he knew he was about to return. They all did. He had plenty of time to plan his next move to escape like Karkaroth. The Dark Lord's initial displeasure and his lateness vanished entirely when he explained that he had remained faithful, though Dumbledore thought he was his man. The movie section starts on a rainy view of rows of close-together houses. As the camera zooms out slightly and slowly lowers to eye level in the village, a woman's whispered voice can be heard pleading with Sissy not to do this, that he can't be trusted. A figure turns a corner closely followed by a second and both walk down a narrow path between the two houses as Sissy responds that the Dark Lord trusts him. The first voice insists that the Dark Lord is mistaken and the two women hide in the alley as some kids ride by on their bikes. When they are passed, Sissy steps out and knocks on the door to one of the houses, where someone sits inside reading the Daily Prophet. As the two women stand cloaked in the rain, Wormtail peers out the window on the door and opens it to them. The camera cuts to the person with the newspaper as he lowers it to reveal Severus Snape. He looks up at the visitors and pulls out his wand as he tells Wormtail, who is lurking in the doorway, to run along. He then waves his wand to force the door closed on him, and the scene cuts to Narcissa holding a glass of wine and saying that she knows she ought not to be there, as the Dark Lord himself forbade her to speak of this. Bellatrix is pacing behind her as Snape cuts off Narcissa to tell her that if the Dark Lord has forbidden it, she ought not to speak. He then interrupts himself to tell Bella not to touch things that don't belong to her. As Bellatrix sassily sets an item back on the mantle, Snape continues speaking to let Narcissa know that he is aware of her situation. Bellatrix is astonished that the Dark Lord told him, and Snape comments on her doubt towards him, calling it understandable, as he has played his part well over the years. When he states that he has deceived one of the greatest wizards of all time, Bellatrix snarls, and Snape insists that Dumbledore is a great wizard, and only a fool would question it. This scene kind of infuriates me. In the movie, yes. It has the bones of being so good. And it just left out so much. It's one of those, like, they skimmed it off the top dealios. Like, we got the gist, right? We're leaving out lots of important information, but it's still there. It moved the plot forward and didn't give us any of the meat. Like I said, it's the bones of a really good scene. There are moments in it that are fantastic, that even echo the book nicely. However, not the moments we wanted. There's zero explanation. (laughs) Yeah. We get nothing. None of those questions answered. Explanation. Try saying that ten times fast. Explanation. 
explanation explanation let's stop at three <laughs> so anyway in the book it starts up makes a call back to that same chilly mist even though they're not near the prime minister's office apparently it's just everywhere the dementor jizz Ugh. yeah they've been busy it doesn't start right in the muggle village that they make their way to it starts down at a riverbank i think that the author just really wanted to kill a fox because that's what she does this poor little scrawny fox that's literally nosing at food wrappers hoping for food gets murdered by bellatrix i mean it just proves that bellatrix is indeed the worst yeah it does give a good depiction of that it's not really pertinent to the story, so I can understand why the movie scene didn't bother to include this. But you start to get the hint throughout it by the two women in cloaks. You don't even know they're women at first. It's just two cloaked people appearing at this riverbank. And the second one calls the first one sissy at first, eventually then calling her Narcissa. So from that, we immediately know who that one is because there's only been one Narcissa in the story she eventually ends up calling the other hooded figure Bella so that makes it pretty clear who that is I think what did they call Andromedas because they both have names cutesy little names Meta Andy Drami I don't know I don't know I wonder regardless we know who these women are even though it hasn't been fully spelled out for us in the movie, you're left confused. Yeah, well, that, I feel like that's just kind of going to be a quote for this whole movie. Especially this movie. There's lots of things in other movies where you're like, what? If you're just watching the movies, like you don't have the background information, but especially in this movie. Yeah, I actually saw this movie twice in theaters right when it first came out. The first time was with my friend Jenny, who does read the books and loves Harry Potter. And we dressed up to go see this. I shared the picture of her dressed as Ron and me dressed as Jenny before in the past. And it was epic. I then went the second time with a friend of mine who loves the stories but has only ever seen the movies. And he literally kept leaning over to me in the theater and asking me questions because he had what? no idea what was going on. Which, as we all know, that is my drug of choice. So please ask me all of the Harry Potter questions. I didn't mind for the sake of that. But I did mine for the sake of somebody who loved this book and was just like, what? <laughs> so there's a lot for us to talk about. Yeah. This is the only movie I didn't see in theaters, which is weird because I made a point to see every movie in the theater. But something happened and I just didn't see this one. I don't remember why. I was in high school when this one came out. So <laughs> I was in adulthood. Huh. Yeah, I think <laughs> I was in grad school. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what year was that? 2006? I was still an undergrad. 2007? Yeah, it was literally the summer before I graduated undergrad because I had to do an extra quarter because I switched schools. Anyway, back to the story. We know that Narcissa is about to do something that Bella doesn't want her to do, and they make their way up this riverbank. Now we can see this dilapidated-looking muggle village that Bellatrix is just like, ew, he lives here. I don't really think it was dilapidated. It's definitely a working town. 
in the books, they described it as dilapidated. Like Does several she? of the houses, most of the houses even, on Snape's actual street are boarded up with broken windows and stuff. So, Yeah. Well, that's strange because that's near where Lily lived. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think that they would have lived in a... But maybe it went downhill. It probably later. did go downhill. And it does sound like Snape isn't there often. It just happens to be a house that he stays in maybe during the summers. Right. Or occasionally. At least it could be just that he's there right now because he has to babysit Wormtail, which we're getting to. We don't even actually know that they're going to see Snape right now at this point. It's this mysterious he that the Dark Lord shouldn't trust, according to Bella, even though apparently he does. And Narcissa's just like, yeah, whatever. I've already made up my mind. You're not going to change it. I listened to you, but I've made my decision. And she just keeps on keeping on. Bella actually grabs her arm to try and stop her. And Narcissa pulls out her wand. And Bellatrix is just like, you're not going to do that against your own sister. And if we weren't sure before of who Bella was, we definitely know now from that. I think that this moment where Narcissa turns around and she's like, there's nothing that I wouldn't do. This is a moment where you're like, oh, she's mama bear mode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you weren't sure of that here, you will be in a few paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Or at least in the second half of this chapter. <laughs> but she's obviously desperate. She pulls her wand on her sister who's like, you're not going to do that against me. And like you said, Narcissa's just like, there's nothing that I wouldn't do anymore. And she casts something. It doesn't say what it is, just that Bellatrix drops her arm like she's been burned. So she casts something to make her release her. And then Narcissa moves forward. Bellatrix follows behind, keeping a little bit of a distance this time. And they turn on the street named Spinner's End. So here's our chapter title drop. Spinner's End. Do you know why it's named Spinner's End? I don't. Do you? It used to be a textile village. So huh. the it was a working, that's what I was saying before, it was a working town. So all the people there were like people who made textiles. Oh. I read that on the Harry Potter wiki. Well, it doesn't seem like it is anymore because this is that moment where it mentions passing up boarded and broken windows. All the way to the last one in the row, which is actually lit with a dim light that you can see through curtains. So somebody is living in this one. Narcissa knocks on the door and this is when Bella catches up to her and they both stand there waiting and a door opens and this man with long black hair peers out at them. I think that that's really interesting that they changed it for the movie. So basically we get the same scene, but Wormtail opens the door instead. So they're specifically making Wormtail seem like a servant in the movies, which is hilarious. Uh, yeah, especially since we know from the book just how pissed he was about that. I wonder if they just wanted to give Snape more of a dramatic entrance as opposed to open the door there. He's standing there. Alan's like, I'm not walking, guys. I'm sitting in this chair and I'm staying in this chair. Yeah, maybe. This is mostly where the movie comes into. You know, we start with them running, being hooded, not knowing who they are. They're talking in whispers and then they come up to the door and then we see Wormtail instead of Snape. But... It pretty much lines up. Yeah. And at this point of the book, it's not saying that it is Snape. It's just a man with long black hair. Oh, we know. We know. 
At this point, Narcissa removes her hood so he can see who she is. He immediately recognizes her, greets her by name even, and opens the door to let her in. As she walks past him, she calls him Severus. Now we definitely know who he is. And just in case you forgot his first name, he greets Bellatrix as Bellatrix also, and she calls him Snape. So we get his full name in this moment, Severus Snape. But he lets them in. They're in a sitting room. It has that air of neglect that I had mentioned. So I don't think that he stays here regularly. So the vibe in the movie is very Sweeney Todd. (laughs) If you've ever seen Sweeney Todd, when Jamie Campbell Bower goes into Judge Turpin's house, he is led by the guy that plays Wormtail, who is the Beatle. They take him into the library in the house, and then he's standing there waiting, and... The guy who plays Wormtail, Timothy Spall, he comes in and then the judge, who is played by Alan Rickman, comes in right behind him and they're telling him how to get to Hyde Park or they're alluding to that they're going to tell him how to get to Hyde Park. It's just a very funny parallel moment because the directors are not similar at all, but the situation itself is very parallel. And quite a few of the actors. <laughs> yes. Jamie Campbell Bower is also in the Harry Potter movies. I know. That's too funny. Even only for the briefest of moments. Yeah. Oh, Helena is also in that movie. I know, right? <laughs> okay. It's That's all like why that. it's hilarious yeah. to me. But yeah, so in this very Sweeney Todd moment, they're all in this sitting room. Snape wants to know what he can do for Narcissa. And she first asks if they're alone. This is the moment in the book where we learn that Wormtail is there because he's not the one who answers the door. So Snape's like, yeah, but Wormtail is here, however. We're not counting vermin, which is kind of clever because he literally can turn into a rat, which is vermin. But why doesn't he turn into a rat if he wants to hear this conversation? Probably because he's terrified that Snape's going to kill him in rat form or something. I'm very intrigued. He's, I, well, they say he's not the smartest. He's not the brightest Lumos from a wand. Not at all. Apparently, he's lurking behind a hidden door. Because you were describing it like the sitting room kind of library-esque like in the movie. And it's similar in the book as well because there's like a bookshelf that's actually a secret door. And Snape uses his wand to open it. And I just picture Wormtail like ear up against the door behind it and then just getting caught in that position. I'm picturing him with a glass on his ear. Yeah. Like, trying to listen. <laughs> yeah, that's what I see. He has one of the Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes extendable ears. He did live with them for a long time. Right? So who he knows? He would be like, these guys are smart. <laughs> Snape cuts this off by basically saying he's going to go get them drinks before he fucks off to his room. And Wormtail's just like, um, I'm not your servant. What is the purpose of Wormtail being here? I literally think he's there so that somebody can keep an eye on him because Voldemort doesn't trust him. That's fair. I literally think that he's worried he's going to go back to the good side and double cross again because he's looking for whoever can protect him and treat him the best. And now that he's outlived his usefulness to Voldemort, he's worried he's going to figure that out. And double cross, triple cross. What is he on crosswise now? He's slimy. He is slimy. And Sirius actually says 
you only ever wanted something if you knew something was in it for you. Right. Or if somebody could protect you. And you're right. There's nothing in it for him at this point. Like he's being bounced from Death Eater to Death Eater and they're having to watch him because we see that right now he's with Snape. And then he goes and stays with the Malfoys and he's basically their servant. Like, do you have regrets, Mr. I sure hope so. Like, you killed your best friends who cared about you. Lily was always kind to him. And like, yes, his friends picked on him. Some, I hope at the end of his life, he thought, I made some poor choices. I mean, I think that he did because that's what ultimately killed him. That is what ultimately killed him, Well. We'll get, get there to that, we'll get right? There. But I do think it's funny that you point out that basically somebody's having to babysit yeah. him because Voldemort doesn't trust him, that he's going to run off and be like, oh, I'm going to be on Dumbledore's side now. Right. Who so can Dumbledore protect me now? I mean, he might, but he's not going to trust him either. He's just going to be babysat wherever he is. Make him turn in. Okay. Hermione's way smarter than all of these people. Make him turn into a rat and put him in a jar with Make an it unbreakable, unbreakable charm. charm. Yep. Yep, that's exactly what needs to happen to that one. And anyway, Snape is like, well, the Dark Lord placed you here to assist me. And Wormtail says, yeah, to assist, not to make you drinks and clean your house. Like, what do you think assisting is? Like, what else does he need help with? That is intriguing. What are you talking about assisting? Are you grading his papers? Right. You couldn't do that. You're not smart enough. And I just love this moment. Snape has all of the sass in this chapter. I love a sassy Severus. Oh, my goodness. He's just like, oh, well, I had no idea that you wanted more dangerous tasks or whatever, like challenging. Or he just, oh, this isn't good enough for you. I'll talk to the Dark Lord on your behalf. And Wormtail says, I can talk to him if I want to. He's like, sure, you can. In the meantime, go get us the elf-made wine. My brain is thinking at this point, I feel a little bad for Wormtail because he did help bring back the Dark Lord, and now he's bringing, he's being treated like garbage. Literally like garbage. But I know it's because of his choices. He also is garbage. He is garbage. So... But you, like, in your brain, if you're thinking about this on a not-evil spectrum... You help somebody get back to their former self. Maybe you're helping your friend come back after having a child. Hello. Point in place. Point in place. This. So maybe you're helping your friend. And then they're like, fuck you. I don't need you. Get away. Go be babysat by somebody else. Like that would make you feel. That would make you want to run away. No, I agree. I don't think that they're treating him well for everything that he did do. However, they also know he did every single bit of it out of cowardice and not actual loyalty. And they're the bad guys, so... They think they know that. They think they know that. But I think, like, Bella is always jealous of anybody else who has any kind of attention from Voldemort. She is such a child. She very much is. I don't understand how she had a child with him. But, Assuming that you take that as canon. Well, the author created the world and she says it's canon, so. Yeah, I'm inclined to, you know what, let's just do a Potterheads of History about this instead of getting into it yeah. now. Canon or not. Yep. Cursed child. But regardless, 
he was and is no matter how deservedly definitely being treated pretty shittily right now but he doesn't have much he can do about it so he just goes and gets the wine some glasses brings it and just sets it on the table and scurries back through that hidden door snape then pours the wine passes out the glasses holds up his own and says the dark lord and then chugs it because there's nothing like getting drunk in the honor of your master <laughs> yikes narcissa and bella copy him and then he refills their glasses and when narcissa takes her second drink this is when she says i'm sorry to show up here like this but you are the only one who can help me you know her husband's in jail she's freaking out about the dark lord's plan that we don't actually officially know what it is yet it's only kind of alluded to at this point and this is when snape stops her to fire his wand at wormtail He's just hanging out at that door listening, got his glass up against it, whatever. And Snape actually stops Narcissa talking to use his wand to basically get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. And all you hear is a squeal and then scurrying up the stairs. So Snape's like, I'm sorry. He's taken to listening at doors. I don't understand what he means by it. And I just love the sass. Like, you know exactly why he's listening at the doors. You're not giving him anything. This also makes me think that they're having some pretty important Death Eater meetings at Snape's house. It's entirely possible. They probably are using it as some sort of headquarters at times because I would imagine they used the Malfoy Manor before. And right now it's kind of a hot spot since he's been arrested. I will say this whole chapter gives you new insight into Death Eater sympathizers because Narcissa is technically not a Death Eater. She doesn't have the tattoo. She's not. She is a sympathizer for sure. I mean, obviously her husband is. But, you know, it gives me a little bit of sympathy for her. She is a mom who is having to offer up her son because she feels like there's no other option. And it makes me sad. Yeah, and I don't even think she was offering him up. I think she was just told this is what's happening and there's nothing she can do. Voluntold. Yeah, so now she's doing everything she can to try to fix this situation. But before she can get into it, she makes a comment about how she was told not to say anything and Bellatrix was just like, then you should hold your tongue, especially in this company. And Snape's just like, what do you mean? What do you mean this company, Bella? What do you mean? What do you mean these people? Yeah. And Bellatrix is like, obviously that I don't trust you. You know that. So Snape's like, you know what, Narcissa? Let's just hear what Bellatrix has to say so we can avoid getting interrupted nonstop. And he's like, go on, Bellatrix. Please tell me more about why you don't trust me. And this is when Bellatrix starts rattling off question after question after question and I feel like these were all of the questions that the readers were asking too trying to figure out is Snape on the good side or is he on the bad side this one is a red herring to make you think he's on the bad side for sure oh absolutely and I remember reading it for the first time and like when he was answering all of these questions 
I was just like, holy shit, he is a bad guy. And I was like, but this is so, there's no way. And it made me realize that they were trying to throw us off the mark. So in this moment, I was like, I think that Snape's actually really on the good side. I'm going to say Snape's a bad guy who has done a few good things. I think Snape is a guy <laughs> who has done bad things and good things. I think he's a bad guy because he bullies children. I think that he definitely has no business being a teacher and anywhere near children. But I don't know that that makes him specifically bad because we aren't only People the choices. Gray. Yeah. And I like I do not condone the way that he treated Neville or Hermione or any of the other kids that he was pretty hard on. And I genuinely like people with that temperament. He was far too damaged to deal with children who were also damaged, especially therapy. Yeah, so much therapy. But I don't know that he is the worst thing that he did because he's not the best thing that he did. And I think he's just a person who had a really unfortunate life that led him to make some really unfortunate decisions. And I don't think there was any amount of good he could have done to fix that. But he certainly tried. It's kind of funny to me that he had that moment, though, and he didn't, like, connect that, oh, you're basically your shitty dad when you're doing all of these things with the Death Eaters. Yeah. And that's a person you didn't want to be like. He needed to do a lot of self-reflection and therapy. Therapy. <laughs> but anyway, all of these questions that get asked. Where was he when the Dark Lord fell? Why did he never attempt to find him after he vanished? What has he been doing all these years that he's lived in Dumbledore's pocket? Why did he stop the Dark Lord from procuring the Sorcerer's Stone? Why did he not return at once when the Dark Lord was reborn? Where was he a few weeks ago when they battled to retrieve the prophecy for the Dark Lord? And why is Harry Potter still alive when he's been at his mercy for five years? I love that Snape is like, you want me to murder Dumbledore's favorite student? No. Like, I'm not <laughs> that dumb, basically. That's why he's still alive. And Snape says that he's going to answer her questions, which shocks Bellatrix. She's just like, wait, what? I thought for sure you just dodge this and make up excuses. But what? She also essentially asked him why he didn't help in torturing Frank and Alice Longbottom because that's what they were doing when they were trying to find Voldemort. That's it's true. part of it. Yeah. And I hate her so much. The biggest differences between Snape and Bellatrix as having been loyal followers. Mm. Like before Snape felt betrayed and realized that all of his decisions led him down the worst path he could have gone down is that he actually had something that could help him realize that. And Bellatrix does not. There is absolutely nothing that could make Bellatrix realize she's making poor decisions. Yeah, I'm so intrigued that she got married and obviously had some sort of romantic entanglement with somebody. And when Rodolphus is suffering in Azkaban, she's not even questioning their choices at all. Like, of course they made the right choice. Of course they're supposed to be in Azkaban. Like, the person you love is being, or you 
said in a court of law or whatever that you loved, you know, and you use his last name still. So something must have been there. I just am very surprised that that didn't. She's very sociopathic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that she married him as a duty and not out of love. Yeah, because Rodolphus is further along in this book. We see he's in the room with Voldemort when he is younger and they're like in the slug club together. But she does not have anything to help her realize her mistakes. There's nothing that she cares about enough that can even make her pause for a moment. Because the thing that she cares the most about is Voldemort. Right. Which Swish and Flick has talked about how if Bellatrix wasn't a Slytherin, she would be a Hufflepuff because of her loyalty. Yeah. Her loyalty definitely makes her very ambitious, though. And it definitely always will outshine her Hufflepuffness. Yeah. So anyway, she asks all of these questions. Snape says he's going to answer them. But before he does, he wants to know if she really thinks that the Dark Lord didn't ask him all of these questions too. And he's like, and if I couldn't have answered them for him, do you think I'd be sitting here right now having this conversation with you? And this is when she's just like, well, I know he believes you. And he's like, really? You think that I've somehow been able to fool the greatest wizard and most accomplished legilimens that the world has ever seen? You think that he's mistaken? Is that what you're trying to say? Because that's not very loyal of you. (laughs) But yes. Also, (laughs) yes. And this was the moment where I'm like, holy shit, he did. I will tell you. My dumb self, when I first got this book, always, I look at the chapter titles. One of the chapter titles is After the Burial. One of the other chapter titles is Dumbledore's Funeral or something like the White Tomb or something, something like that. And I read the first paragraph and it was like after Dumbledore's death. And I was like, do what? Oh, you spoilered yourself. I did, but I always do that. But I was like, Yeah, I can't, I don't like spoilers, but I read and devour as fast as I possibly can to get to the actual moment that I know is going to be coming. Because, yeah. yeah, oof. Anyway, Bellatrix has nothing to say back to Snape when he calls her out on this shit. So he takes a sip of his wine and starts his explanation. Like, when the Dark Lord fell, I was where I was told to be. I was stationed at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry with the intention of spying on Albus Dumbledore. There's nothing wrong with that. That's where I was supposed to be. This long game, though. Right. After that, I didn't go look for him because just like all of the other Death Eaters who didn't get arrested, I thought he was finished. I was wrong. I'm not proud of that. But the Dark Lord forgave us because if he didn't, he'd be pretty much followerless. That's a word. That's the one going with it. (laughs) And Bellatrix is just like, he'd have me. I spent many years in Azkaban for him. And oh, Snape's sass in this moment is so good you could almost taste it. She deserves Every moment of the oh, yeah, But he's like, yeah, that was most admirable. Though you weren't a lot of use to him in prison, but the gesture, the gesture 
was undoubtedly fine. He calls it a fucking gesture that she went to the band for him. I think that's also really weird. Like, I already know that the Death Eaters are really weird. Like, why are you following this person? But you're putting your loyalty to you spending 15 years in Azkaban. So that's that makes you loyal that you got locked away for this person who hasn't even told you all of his secrets. Like, you don't know he has horcruxes. You know that you have something in your vault that is supposed to be safe. Yeah. You don't know that his soul has been split. You have no idea how he came back. You didn't even help him come back because you were locked away. Like, this level of loyalty is really weird to me. It is blind, cultish loyalty. I mean, this is like trigger warning for Holocaust stuff, but like, this is like Nazis being captured by Americans and being like, I'm just doing it for Hitler. Like, what? what? I don't have time for you. Like, you're you're imprisoned. Like, take it back a notch. Like, nope. y'all are losing. Nope. Calm down. I don't know. It just, it blows my mind that this this is the amount of loyalty that Bellatrix has to such the wrong person. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there's something broken in there to make it be like that. There's definitely something rattling around in her brain for sure. Maybe she got kissed by a Dementor. Maybe. Probably not because she was kind of already like that, but maybe. Who knows what happened to her as a child to make her like this? Well, being think, the oldest of three girls. And think about their parents. Like Sirius describes Bella at, when she's younger as being deranged. Yeah. So I bet she tortured Sirius, and I bet she tortured her sisters, too. Makes you wonder if her parents tortured her, though. Well, probably. Yikes at scary parenting. Yeah. No, it's really interesting because I don't necessarily believe that people like this are just born. I think mostly they're made. They are made by life experiences. So I would love to know more background on Bellatrix history. Therapy. All of it. Everybody needs therapy. Anyway, understandably, her time in prison being called a gesture is pretty infuriating to her. But hilarious to us. Oh, absolutely. But she accuses Snape of just being comfortable at Hogwarts, playing Dumbledore's pet, and Snape's like, well... At least I didn't have to be in Azkaban. <laughs> right? He's just like, well, not quite, because... Dumbledore wouldn't give me the defense against the dark arts job. Boo-hoo. Oh, that's not much of a sacrifice, Though, Snape. to be fair, that's sassy Bellatrix. She's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's literally what she does. She also wants to know why he stayed there all that time. Was he spying on Dumbledore for the master that he thought was dead and gone? And Snape's like, no. Bro, I had a job. Right. I had a job, I was comfortable, and if I'm being honest, the Dark Lord is really happy that I had 16 years of information on Dumbledore to share with him, which is far more useful than your endless reminiscences of how unpleasant the ban is. Again, just digging that dagger in her about being an Azkaban and being completely useless. Which is the same shitty stuff he did to Sirius, which actually led to Sirius dying. Again, like I said, he's not a good person. He's a very angry, damaged human being. 
but he is a human being and i think bella has lost that status i know chaotic neutral is not an actual thing but he feels very chaotic neutral like he is always just kind of there for him well that's why he's a slytherin he's always there for himself you know he's doing what's good for him and what's good for the moment and what's good for people he loves because he loves lily which is why he was trying to protect harry while also bullying him but whatever you know i feel like that was a weird divide where he was protecting harry for lily but he was also bullying harry because of james James. it was just like he's not good at compartmentalizing i've seen a lot of things that have been like snape and lily were just friends and i was like i don't think that for two seconds i think that if snape had had his way he would have married lily and they would have had a weird stringy haired harry together (laughs) well i think that they did throughout the series well not really the whole series but in the time where we got his story and history with lily he did call them best friends and i think that he loved her i think that he probably did want it to be more but I think he would have been perfectly happy to just be best friends with Lily forever. And maybe if he had gone down a different path, their friendship could have developed into more. But I don't think he would have remained friends with her if she married James. Oh, no. But I think that if she had dated anybody else, he may have been a little jealous, but not the same. And I think their friendship could have survived anybody else. That's true. Man, we should probably just do an episode on Snape, too, at this point. the Yeah, you and Katie did the episode of Snape with Quincy. Quincy, yeah. And I listened to it, and I was like, I have so many points that I disagree with. I just, as the teacher, I know I've said this in that episode and other times, as a teacher and seeing, like, I have a new student in third grade right now who is a foster child, and he's a disaster, and he's a little bit violent, and he doesn't follow directions well, and he doesn't like any of the other kids. And I just see that as being Snape as a kid. And I just see him having that trauma and that damage that led him to make the bad decisions. And I've had so many students that have then gone out and joined gangs. Yeah. And I don't see it as being any different than what happened with Snape. And I'm expected to love these kids and give them a safe and positive environment at school. So I also can extend that to the child Snape. Now, the adult Snape is a different story, but he was never given anything to support him out of that situation. I wish somebody would have taken note of him as a child. Like Slughorn was there. McGonagall was there. But like if Slughorn was the potions teacher, that probably would have been his forte. Yeah. Uh, Or Defense Against the Dark Arts, whoever that was. Well, he knew how talented Snape was, and I bet that got him in the slug club. But unfortunately, that would have put him closer to people like Lucius. I am thinking like teachers who sit down and have talks like in Stand and Deliver. When that teacher is teaching those kids in L.A. AP Calc and their kids who are lower income, but he encourages them. If somebody had taken the time with Snape to encourage him and be like, Maybe we aren't making the best life choices. Yeah. He would have, like if Dumbledore had taken five freaking seconds out of his life, because he was, he would have been the headmaster at that point. Yeah. If he had noticed, he knew what was going on. He always knew what was going on. If he had taken time to sit down with 11-year-old Snape and be like, look at your life, look at your choices. Like, yeah. 
And he has this whole speech in this book about a boy who who was given choices and he took the wrong choice at every turn. Yeah. And he is talking about Voldemort, but he could be talking about Snape, too. Well, they always have parallels with Snape, Voldemort, and Harry. Yeah. So they're they're the the three abandoned boys yeah, in one way or three another. Lost boys are that found a home at Hogwarts. Yeah. And all went down different oh. paths. And Newt too. And Newt too. Oh. All right, this is making me sad. So yeah. let's get back to the episode. Other sadness. Right. So anyway, Answering all the questions. Answering all the questions. He explains to Bellatrix that, of course, he stayed. He preferred having a good job and Dumbledore's protection to keep him out of the ban. And the Dark Lord's not upset that he stayed, so why should she be? He also brings up her next question, why he stood between the Dark Lord and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're at. The Sorcerer's Stone. And it was an easy explanation here that... Because the Dark Lord wasn't sure if he could trust him or not after all that time had gone by and he stayed by Dumbledore's side, he didn't reveal himself to him just in case he was going to turn him over. And as a result, all Snape saw was Quirrell trying to get the stone and he was just like, fuck you, you're not worthy, you don't get this. Now, we do actually know that that's not really what happened, but that's what made me start to pick up on this in this moment when he was just like he only saw Quirrell I was just like no Dumbledore knew and if Dumbledore knew Snape probably knew so this part's a lie and I was just like oh my god I think he's lying I was like oh my god I was like oh my god this is what did it for me and Bellatrix is just like yeah but you didn't come back when the dark mark first burned when Voldemort returned and Snape's like, yes, I did. I was I at work. He's like, I came back two hours later on Dumbledore's orders. And she's just like, on Dumbledore's orders. And Snape's like, yes, on Dumbledore's orders. Think, waiting that two hours meant Dumbledore thought I was still on his side. And I am still perfectly positioned to give information on him and the order, which made the Dark Lord very happy. Baby girl didn't use her brain very much. No, because something's rattling around loose in there. He's just like, the dark mark had been growing stronger for months. We all knew this was going to happen. I had plenty of time to come up with a move. I had plenty of time to figure out how to get the fuck out of here and escape like Karkaroff tried. I didn't. Because I knew that the Dark Lord wasn't going to be happy with me for being late. But he's going to get over it when he realizes that I did remain faithful, and Dumbledore still thinks I'm his man. Stand by your man. Yep. And did we get any of that in the movie, Carly, did we? We get some of this, but not all. The entire movie starts out with skipping the first chapter of The Ministers. The entire movie starts out with Bella and someone not a single movie watcher will know, but it's Narcissa. And on top of that, we didn't mention that we actually had to jump forward in the movie to get this scene to line it up with this chapter. They did the first few chapters slightly out of order. There is something that corresponds, I say, with air quotes to each chapter, but the order is a little mixed up and the correspondingness of it is not necessarily corresponding. Yeah, so we use the 
book for flow and not the movie because yeah. the movie's chaotic. Because the movie has less details anyway. So the True book that. sets the structure. The movie fits in where it can. But we see the two women. We eventually kind of find out that this is Narcissa, who we then find out is Draco's mother. So since we didn't get to see her in Goblet, this is your first introduction in the movies to Narcissa. So I like how she's described in the books as having completely blonde hair, but I also really like how they did the actress. She's beautiful. She has the just one gold strand in the front. She looks a, li a little bit like Rogue from X-Men, but then she has the dark hair on the back. And I kind of wonder if that was a stylistic choice that she made or if the all blonde just didn't look good on her. Could be. Yeah, Helen McRory was actually originally cast to play Bellatrix. And something fell through scheduling-wise. So I was really glad that they brought her back to be Narcissa. It did kind of bother me that she wasn't blonde, even though I liked that look. But the whole family was supposed to be blonde. However, neither of her sisters were blonde. Like, Bellatrix has the really dark hair, and when we meet Andromeda, she looks a lot like Bellatrix, but with a lighter brown hair. So it's kind of weird that she would have blonde hair anyway. Though it wasn't the end of the world, I suppose. But it worked, and she made it work. And she looked lovely doing it. Yes. But we see Wormtail answer the door as we pointed out before but he is just hanging around Snape's house and you don't really know like the movie doesn't give you any explanation about why he's there he's just there he's just there and you're just like is Wormtail Snape's Alfred to his Batman like what's going on I'm so confused Batman and Ratman <laughs> lol yes literally cause Snape is described as being very bat like, bat -like. yeah he swishes around the castle <laughs> Great. That what also has some mobile look like. It's a broom. A black broom. Yeah. <laughs> so we see that we don't get his sassy ratness in the movie. He just he doesn't even say anything in the movie. I don't think Timothy Spall doesn't even have a single line, I don't think. Not at this part, for he's sure. He's just like standing there and he's like, run along, Wormtail, and he slams the door and Timothy Spall gets like pushed out. Yeah. And that's his whole deal in this whole movie. Which is sort of reminiscent of him trying to listen at the door, I guess, and being cast away. But it wasn't the same implication. Yeah. But the scene is so quick where we decided to cut it. We get Sassy Snape saying, like, stop messing with my stuff. <laughs> don't touch my stuff. We mustn't touch things that don't belong to us. <laughs> yeah. And Alan Rickman is perfect in this scene. He's uh, just so eloquently spoken. He's so, like, he's doing his slow Snape talk. It It's perfect. I honestly think that's one of the reasons why I'm so upset we did not get this full interaction between them. Because can you imagine Alan Rickman and Helena Bonham Carter going back and forth with her doing her Bellatrix crazy thing, asking these questions, and Alan Rickman doing his... Snape slow speak explaining these like she's the stupidest thing ever who doesn't get it it would have been beautiful and no that's not what they gave us they let us know that she doesn't trust him 
and then we get one line about it. We do get Snape saying that he played his part well in deceiving one of the best wizards of all time. However, Bella doesn't really know that he's talking about Voldy. Yeah, we aren't supposed to know that at this point either. But, well, I mean, the seventh book was out at this point, so you might know. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But the way that this lined up when we were watching it together, we were like, oh, these actually line up really well. There's just a lot of information missing. Like all of it? Like any explanation at all. Yeah. Like we don't have Bella questioning his loyalty. Not really. Like she does in the next part. We'll see. She does taunt him that he's just using empty words to say that he will help Draco. But we see this with him being sassy and all that. But we don't get the questions. We don't get the you're not loyal enough. No. All this established was that she doesn't trust him. And he thinks that's understandable because he played his part well. And that is everything that they gave us for this part. Yeah. For the entire section of questions that he explains in very clear detail. He's just like, I did what I had to do. And that's all that matters. You don't need to question. <laughs> like, whoa. I can see why you're confused. I'm good at it. That's it. I would take Alan Rickman at that, though. It's true. It's fine. You know what? Yeah. I believe you. <laughs> I would have at least wanted a couple of the questions that back and forth between them, because as we've mentioned, we don't even have to do it in the specific section because we talked about the actor so much already now. But as we mentioned, we get to see briefly Timothy Spall, who does next to nothing. Mm -hmm. Alan Rickman, who does Alan Rickman snaping in all of his glory. And then we've got oh, Helena wow. Bonham Carter as Bellatrix, who does her little sassy, crazy Riff, shit. Yeah. And Helen McRory, who, Narcissa's, like, Just being mama. Yeah. Not that much happens, but it sets a good tone yeah. for who they are. But it also sets the tone for the movie. Like, this is not going to be the normal Harry Potter movie. This one's going to be, as it's trending towards at this point, because it's the sixth one, it's going to be, they're consistently getting darker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this one is going to be the darkest one yet. Blah. So, yeah. But I think that can move us on to our Potter pondering. So our Potter pondering this week is what do you think about how the movie portrayed the scene between Snape, Narcissa, and Bellatrix about Voldemort's plan and Snape's loyalties? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. And I'm trying to get these episodes wrapped up as early as possible to give Carly time to check and make sure I'm fulfilling the editing at a proper quality. So if you can get us these responses by the following Tuesday before the episode posts, that would be amazing. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. So we don't have a sorting hat story this week, but we do have a wizarding word. This one is about the announcement of Hogwarts Legacy 2. So far, we know that it's in the works. You can actually find some of the leaked footage for it online because people are sneaky. It'd be like that. Sneaky and leaky. But we don't have a locked in plot date or official confirmation at this point. 
And since neither of us have finished the game, we can't even be like, maybe it'll continue the storyline. Yeah. We have no idea what happens. I've barely even gotten to start the game at this point. The first one, I've been waiting for it to come out on the Switch so I can be more portable with it. Because the only computer we have that'll run it at this point is upstairs. And we have to baby gate our stairway to stop the cats from getting up there because one of our cats thinks the upstairs carpet is a bathroom. So if I sit up there playing the game, they sit down at the bottom of the stairs and cry and it's heartbreaking. So I'm waiting for it to come to the Switch and that has been a slow process. Maybe it'll come to the Switch before the second one's released. But it's coming, apparently. And stay tuned because we'll keep up to date on this and bring up more updates as we know about it. It is very true. The Hogwarts Legacy game was very enjoyable so far for me for the boring, quote, boring parts, because I like, like, literally, I got to go into the Hufflepuff common room, and my husband was like, are you going to cry? And I was like, I'm not crying. It's fine. I'm not crying. You're crying. I've heard a lot of people say that the game turned them into being Potterheads when they weren't before, so. It's like Skyrim meets Harry Potter. Oh, nice. You have no limitations you learn spells you follow the plot line if you want to but you don't have to actively be moving the plot line forward so you can do whatever you want to do if you want to 100% the game 100% the game if you don't want to if you want to just keep walking around Hogwarts and going to classes go for it nice it's very good but that will lead us into our trivia question so this week's trivia question is Why does Narcissa think that Voldemort chose her son for this plan? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag too dangerous will get a sticker. That's two with two O's. Yes, two as in excessively, not two as in the number. Yes, correct. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 2, Spinner's End, and the fairly corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For Fox Fox Sake. Sake.